They said it was another church. This is it. You are it. You're that baby. And if God gave us that baby, nothing's going to happen to it. It's going to fulfill the purpose for which God has given it. So hallelujah. So Pastor Chris has scheduled a series on the subject of culture defining, and uh, which is the four E's, which is similar to what's up there on the, on the wall to engage, establish, equip, and empower. He's got engage, encourage, empower, and enjoy. How many know that, that Christianity is to be enjoyed? It's not to be, it's not something heavy burden laid on us. Jesus said, my burden's light. So, so Christianity is something that needs to be enjoyed. And 50 years uh, uh, so far that we have been uh, serving the Lord, uh, it's been enjoyable. Even before he called me into the ministry, I was having a great time in church, doing everything God wanted us to do and, and just enjoying I've enjoyed the four churches that I have pastored. I pioneered three of them. The only one I did was the one at Chalmette. God called me to that one. Uh, but I've enjoyed doing the work of the Lord. And you ought to enjoy being a Christian and working in the kingdom of God, helping to further the kingdom of God. So, so that's the format that we have for our vision uh, is the four E's, and this is basically the vision for our entire ministry. And a vision should produce a culture. We, and that's what's going to be established here. This church is going to grow because we are going to create a culture here that is going to fulfill God's wishes for this church. And it should define this church on who we are. And... Uh, so the next couple of weeks, this will be the subject matter. The next two messages uh, Pastor Chris will bring, and I'll bring the last one, which is enjoy, and I'm going to enjoy bringing the message on enjoy. <laughs> so the first one we're going to look at today is uh, engage. And what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the word engage? Well, I looked up Webster's definition of engage, and one of the definitions reads like this. To offer something such as one's life or word as backing to a cause or aim, to expose to risk for the attainment or support of some end. And Webster gives a little clause here. Engaged his all in the king's cause. See, engage is what Nick and Taylor just did. <laughs> they, just, they just recently got engaged. You know what they're saying to one another? I'm giving it all to you. Whatever I got, I'm giving it all for the cause. And that's what they've done. I think, I'm so proud of them. And uh, I, I told Nick I was praying. He's been on my prayer list for, for years now, and I have Nick Nick Campbell, and in parentheses, wife. I'm looking. <laughs> so I scratch wife out now, put tail in there. So. But I'm still praying for you guys. So, and uh, so concerning us, our our engagement is in uh, concerning our King, 
who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior and soon coming King. He's coming back. Hallelujah. And that is exactly this part of the vision. This is exactly the gospel message. This is what Jesus left the church to do, is to fulfill his will and uh, engaging all in the king's business. It reminded me of when Jesus was left in Jerusalem when his parents left and left him there for three days and when they came back and found him and they would say, why did you let stay here? You should have been with us. And he said, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? Well, guess what? Our king's business is our business. We, we are engaged in doing his business. Hallelujah. Jesus engaged a culture and I thought about this he engaged a culture that wasn't his. He was living in eternity. He was living in a holy culture. And then he engaged himself in a sinful culture. He came to earth where there was nothing but sin and degradation going on, but he engaged it. And, uh, and it reminds me of a Christian. I, I preached a message. It reminds me years ago on the three conversions of a, a believer. You get converted out of a sinful lifestyle, out of a sinful culture. Then you convert it into the kingdom culture. But guess what? We got to be converted back again. We got to go back out there. Different though. But we got to go back into the old culture where we came from so we can rescue people. So uh, we ought to be able to influence the world because Christ's life is in us. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if Christ's life now, and I believe if you're born again, you got new life, it's not your life, it's the life of Christ that is in you. So if his life is in us, then his character and purpose is also living in us. In other words, what he came to do, when he came and engaged a sinful world, that life is still in us. So the reason for Engage in a sinful culture of the world is, is our goal because that is the life that, that is in us. The vision is not only for this church. It's not only for our three churches. It's actually the vision for the whole body of Christ throughout the world. They must engage whatever culture that they're in. Every sinful culture in every country that's in the world, the believers ought to engage that. They've been saved out of it but they got to go back into it. The Apostle Paul gives us some insight into this in a letter to the Colossian church, which uh, Colossians is one of the four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. He also wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Paul was in, pre uh, uh, in prison for preaching just what I'm preaching to you. He, he was in prison for believing what we believe. 
He was in prison for that. And uh, and that gives us some feeling when Paul writes these letters that he's in prison for the gospel. So when we read Colossians, we have a feeling of what he was feeling while he was in prison. Okay? And let's read it in Colossians chapter 4. Paul is telling the church, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So the first thing Paul is telling us to do is to devote ourselves to prayer. Now, uh, it says devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. To devote ourselves to prayer means to be constant in it, persevering in it, unwearied in prayer. And I'll tell you, as my pastor, Brother Rod Aguilar, says, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. We need to learn to do that. It means to be constant, unbroken prayer, to be constant communion with God. It means to walk and breathe prayer, to live and move and have our being in prayer. Now, you might say, okay, Pastor, how, how do I do that? Well, to be constant in prayer and to always be praying, we've got to have the right attitude on what prayer really is. If you think prayer is just locking yourself in a closet, which is okay to do, I lock myself in my office. When my wife sees my office door closed, she knows don't come knocking. <laughs> I'm doing business in there. There's time to do that, but there's also time to have that quiet time with God no matter where you are. So prayer is not just locking yourself in, but prayer is to be having a heart towards God and, and walking in the presence of God all the time. Having your mind set on God all the time in everything that you're doing in life, all your activities, all your duties, all your affairs that demand our attention. We can still have a heart that's close to God. How can we continue to walk in unbroken prayer? What does the scripture say? We've got to develop an attitude. An attitude. We need to walk in a spirit of prayer. So I, I was talking with uh, Brother Paul uh, before service, and he was talking about how he thanks God for saving him and how, how God is always meeting his needs. Uh, Paul, you got to be thinking about God all the time. Every time you have a need, every time you breathe, you got to thank God that you took another breath. So God must be on our mind constantly, taking a mental break from the world. Spend a moment in prayer. Pray always. When, when, when you're in your car, there's, there's so much idle time that we spend traveling. You need to just call out to God. Just be constant in prayer. Pray before you go to bed at night. Let me tell you something. Every one of us has got to get in bed at night 
put your head on a pillow, right? Don't you look for that time. But right at that time, when that head hits that pillow, you need to start thanking God. Say, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for all that you've given me today. Thank you for all that I have. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Just, just do that. Do that. I pray as soon as my, my head hits the pillow. And I, I ask God to give me dreams because, you see, the Bible says your young men going to see visions, your old men going to dream dreams. I want dreams. I don't want no crazy dreams. I don't want no nightmares. I want dreams that have a purpose in my life. And I, I say, God, let me dream. Give me some vision. Give me a, a, a purpose. Show me a dream because he showed me many dreams that have come true. So, when your head hits the pillow, hey, do it. There's a, a note of critical fact that it's the duty of the believer to pray. This is something that God can't do for us. He don't want to do for us. We got to do this ourselves. We're the ones that have to discipline ourselves to pray. And if we don't pray, then prayer doesn't get anything done. Things get done by us praying. And the scripture is clear. The believer is to be continuous in prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And him who knocks, the door will be opened. So prayer knocks and opens doors. We, we got to go knocking. We got to go uh, seeking. we got to go praying. And, and this is what all of our churches need. That's why we have a scheduled prayer meeting in all of our churches, for God to open doors of opportunity. We need that for us to come together in prayer and ask God, show us, Lord, what we need to do as a church. Give us opportunity to fulfill your will. Then you need to pray for your leaders. Paul asks this. He's in prison. He says, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You need to pray for your leaders. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for Nick. You need to pray for our pastors. You need to pray for all those who are in ministry here. You need to lift us up. Now, Paul, being in, locked up in prison, could have asked the church to do a lot of things to ask him them to do. He was in prison, not like a prison we have today, where, where you're getting three meals a day and they they've taken care of you. No, it wasn't nothing like that. Paul could have asked, hey, can you pray that they give us some decent food in here? I've eaten prison food. I, I wasn't in prison. I was there ministering, but we had to eat what they ate. And believe me, it's a lot to be desired. He could have asked for them to pray that he could get out of jail, but he didn't do that either. None of that he requested. What he requested was prayer for the ministry. He wanted the believers to pray that God would give him opportunity to witness for sharing the mystery of salvation. That's what he wanted them to pray, that he had boldness to witness, to engage his culture with the gospel. That's what he was praying for the church to do. 
He, he wanted to make a difference with his life. He wasn't afraid to engage the culture. It's amazing. Here Paul was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, and God sends him to the Gentiles. It's amazing, isn't it? He had all this knowledge of, of, of Judaism, and he sends them to people that don't even know anything and to reach them with the gospel. Because Paul knew the message of the gospel is powerful. How many know that? It changes people's lives. That's how powerful it is. So Paul asked the church to pray for a door that would be open that he could just do that. Paul knew it was going to take prayer to open doors. That's why, like I said, we have scheduled prayer meetings. We've got to be a praying church. We need open doors so we can engage our culture. So that's the thing, engaging our culture. Paul says this in Colossians 4, 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let me tell you how powerful the message of the gospel is. Last week, me and my, my grandson, Joseph, was over there working in the children's building over there. And we had just got back, I think, from Home Depot. We was getting ready to get working. And uh, let me tell you something. The work that's been done over there, we go there. We put in seven hours. We don't quit. We order pizza. We eat it right quick. We go back to work. This guy walks in. A young man walks in. He has a beard. And uh, today everybody's wearing beards. You don't know who you're talking to. But he came in. He came in like he knew us. So I kept looking at him to see, who is this? He come in fist pumping us and everything. And... <laughs> He said, do y'all need help here? I said, no, we don't. I said, we got it. It's just us. Uh, he said, y'all need help today? I said, no, we don't need it. What about tomorrow? You need help? I said, no, we don't need any help. I said, we're a church here. And we, we're on a limited budget here. We can't be pairing everybody. We just we got to get to work. And I, and I was very close to him. I was about like this. And I could smell alcohol on his breath. And I said, you've been drinking, haven't you? He says, yes. And then he began to tell me why he drinks. Okay, so now he's telling me his life story. And I'm thinking, hey, we got to get to work here. You understand? i got to get to work here. So I pulled out my electronic Bible. And I got, I got Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And I said, can you read? He said, I can read. Read this. I said, read. Start reading. And he read from 9 to 11. Well, he said, if you confess your, with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're going to be saved. After he finished reading it, he says, something was telling me not to read that. I said, it was the devil said, he don't want you to be saved. Now, we're going to say a prayer on what you just read here. He said, okay. So I start leading in a sinner's prayer, and he says it. And as soon as he's finished saying the prayer, he said, I have a disease. I said, what kind of disease? 
He says, alcohol. I said, I have the power to release you from that. I put my hand on his head. The power of God hits him. I'm telling you, I just had my hand like this. The power of God hits him. He's on his back. Joe will stand there. <laughs> We're standing there. He hits the floor, and he's trying to get up, and he says, I can't move my legs. I can't move my legs. I said, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I said, hold on. You're all right. You're all right. Where's the picture? That's me lifting him off. I told Joseph, I said, take a picture. Nobody's going to believe this. <laughs> I wanted him to get the picture. He was on the ground. Then I can't move my legs. I said, it's all right. It's all right. But the power of God hit him. He didn't know what went on. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? See, the gospel has power. He didn't know what he was walking into. He walked in there like some kind of big shot. He didn't know what he was walking into. He met the power of God. He didn't show up here for service, but I guarantee you this, he'll never forget that. And let me say something, and I said this. I've never said this in the years of ministry. You know, when and I've delivered a lot of people of demons and stuff like that. And always, you know, the power of Jesus is the one that did. But I don't know, the Holy Spirit told me to say that. The Holy Spirit told me to tell him, I have the power. Catch this now. I never used to say that. It's the first time in my life I said that. And God said, you have the power because I gave it to you. <laughs> say, and we've got to believe that I have the power. You know, when Peter and John went to the beautiful gate and the crippled man was there begging, he, what he told him, he said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. We have to believe that we have the power. You're not acting uh, boastfully when you say that. God gave us the power to do it. And that's the first time I ever said that. When he said, I got a disease, and he told me it was alcohol, I said, I have the power to free you of that. And as soon as I touched his head, I ain't kidding you, he hit the floor. He didn't know what hit him. He said, I can't move my legs. I can't move my legs. I said, hold on. Hold on. You're going to be all right. <laughs> You're going to be all right. That's what I told you. Go get a picture of this. Nobody's going to believe this. See, this is what God expects the church to do. You read the New Testament. I often wondered, you know, why aren't we seeing what we're seeing in the New Testament? I read the book of Acts. Why aren't we seeing that? Well, you got to believe that this stuff can happen if we just believe what we are supposed to be as a church. But see, to be living a life that's so different than this world, that people ask us, what is it that makes you like you are? See, we should be so different from this world. I've had that happen to me many times in 50 years of serving the Lord. 
even before I was a preacher, people would come, what, what, what's up with you, man? What, why are you so different? So you don't speak their language. You're not cursing. You're not using profanity and, and all of that. And I, I could tell you another story about uh, a big black guy that came in. It's one of the guys that maintained the building and all. And he was professing to be a Baptist, and he was using F-bombs and everything else. I felt like grabbing him and said, man, what's up here? That don't, that don't match. That don't, that don't fit. What you're confessing to be and what's coming out of your mouth don't work. See, we, we have to be living a life that, that is so different that people are going to come and ask us, what is it? What is it with you that, that is different? See, Paul is saying here, it, when we're walking among unbelievers, we got to watch our mouth. you got to watch your language. I've had, I had men around me, and they knew I was a minister, and something would slip out of their mouth, you know, something curse word, blah, 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 and they'd say, excuse me, uh, reverend. I said, you ain't got to excuse yourself. I said, you're speaking your father's language. What do you mean my father's language? I said, the devil. God don't talk like that. So I'm going to get a chance to, to, to get to this big guy. And uh, and uh, he, he, too. I shook hands with him. He, I, Joe, he's 400 pounds. He's big, big. I shook hands with him. I grabbed him. I pulled him. He said, man, you got some power there. He says, I'm 400 pounds. You almost pulled me off my feet. I felt like saying it's the Holy Ghost, man. I'm going to get to you. I'm coming. So we got to guard how we speak in our conversation. We got to make sure we speak with grace. Listen, we know the answer. We know how wrong these people are. We don't have to go and tell them how wrong they are. We got to give them the grace of God. We got to be kind, courteous. We got to season our speech with some salt. It's got to be tasteful. It's got it's got to make them want some more of it. It's got to be flavorable to them. We got to change their conversation to something that's tasteful. And what happens when this is done is striking. I mean, really. It, Unbelievers will begin to notice our lies, our conversation. Some will ask us what it is that, that gives us such peace and security in our lives. This is when we have that unique opportunity to tell them what the Lord has done for us. You got to tell them what the Lord has done for us. Then we can reach out and bring in those who are tragically without Christ. Those who are lost and doomed in despair and hopelessness. You realize you see people out there, there's no hope for them. Unless they get Jesus, they, there's no hope for them. They keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying. They're working, trying to find the answer. We have it. And we've got to be willing to give it. G uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
but do this with gentleness and respect. I love when somebody asks me, what is it? Can you tell me? Yes. Yes. The believer is to answer every man who asks him about his hope of salvation and eternal life. Years ago, before I was in ministry, uh, I had uh, beauty schools, and I would pray that that uh, when on the way to work, I had 90 students in there, a lot of young people. I pray, Lord, just give me one of them. Just let one of them just. And in one evening, I remember they were all checking out. School was over. They punching their time cards out. The last one that came said, Carl, can I talk to you? Felt like saying, I've been waiting for you all day. They all knew I was Christian. They, they you know, they, they didn't want to, they didn't want to deal with me until they needed something. And I've led many to Christ from that school because when I wanted to get into that school, I uh, trusted God. I said, God, if you, we didn't have the money I had to sell my house to get into that business. I said, if you get me in, it's yours. It's yours. I'll, I'll witness to everybody in there. It'll be yours. And, and God did that, and uh, we, won, we won a lot of people out of there. But if we're going to do that, we're going to engage the culture, you're going to have to be prepared. It means you're going to have to study. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to know what to say. That means you're going to have to study the Word of God. You're going to have to meditate on the Word of God. You're going to have to be in prayer. You're going to have to sit at the feet of Jesus. Thank God that day when I dealt with that young man, I was at the feet of Jesus that morning, 5 o'clock. I was at the feet of Jesus. You got to be ready to engage the culture. You got to be ready all the time. You don't know when the opportunity is going to come. You don't know when the door is going to open for you to be able to minister. And we got to be careful how we answer and defend the hope of salvation. We ought to answer people with a spirit of meekness and fear before God. That heaven or hell is in balance there when you are witnessing to somebody. Jesus said, this in Matthew chapter 10. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. I said, I'll take that. You mean to tell me every time I witness for you, you are telling the Father about me? I'll take that. I'll look for the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus because as soon as I do that, Jesus said, I'm going to confess you before my Father. He's probably saying, look at my boy down there. Father, look at see, See what he's doing? See, that's good enough for me. It ought to be good enough for you. Why? Because he's given us the power to do it. He didn't ask you to go do something you can't do. He's given you the power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, in Metairie, Chalmette, Covington, and to the ends of the earth. We've got power to be witnesses. Let us be ready this year. We've got to engage our culture. Listen, this wall is going to come down. We're going to add more seats in here. And guess what? God's going to fill it, but it's only going to happen by what we do. We've got to be ready to engage the culture. Stand with me. I don't know about you. I feel a power of God right now. Hallelujah. I'm going to be hitting the shower mat. They're going to hear this same thing. They need it there too. You might be here today. You've never given your heart and life to Jesus. You don't know what it is to be saved. You don't know what it is to be filled with the power of God in your life. You don't know what it is to have your sins forgiven. If that's you here today, step out from where you are. I want to pray with you. The same prayer I prayed with that young man who the power of God hit. You're here today. Say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, step out from where you are right now. I want to pray with you. Hallelujah.